And I'm going to get you guys to open up your Bibles, please, and we'll go straight into the Word for today. The Word today comes from the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 2. And I'm going to read verse, verse 1 through to 12. So Matthew chapter 2. Verse 1 through to 12. If you don't have a Bible, it should be behind me. And I'll be reading from the ESV version. Just an ESV uh, Bible. And just a reminder that, you know, as I read this, uh, that this is the Word of God. Matthew 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained them from them which the time the star had appeared. And he sent to them, sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of God. Uh, good morning. Uh, it's good to see everyone. It's good to see some uh, familiar faces. It's good to see some new faces and some faces that I feel like I saw, you know, maybe a little while ago. But why don't we turn to the people around us and just wish them one more time a Merry Christmas. Can we say that? A Merry Christmas. Yeah, it's so good to have you with us. And please do stick around. We've got some food at the end. And we do have these bags that I think will be explained later on. I'm there for you. As I begin, I want to begin by asking you a question. The question is, what do you feel when I say coriander? Right? What do you feel? Right, as I say that, I think um, the response even in this room will be quite divided. Right? Somehow this small, innocent, little herb has created such division right, amongst people. Uh, for some of us on one end of the spectrum, when we hear coriander, we're, we're quite disturbed. Right? Maybe we feel angry, um, we like, uh, we hate it. Right? I, I have someone that I'm thinking of right now. Uh, just one small piece of coriander in your beef noodle soup or in your pork roll, you know, it will make you angry. Right? Is that you? Um, I've got a friend who, like when they find it, it's like for the next 15 minutes, they're doing intricate surgery to get rid of every minute piece of coriander uh, that's in their pork roll. The whole meal, the whole day is ruined by this coriander. Right? Is that you? Coriander disturbs you. Or for some of us, we're in the middle and we're detached. We 
don't really care. We don't really um, care if there is or isn't coriander in our pork roll. It doesn't really have a strong flavor anyway. I don't know what these guys are talking about, but it's not a problem. I don't mind coriander. And then for some of us, coriander delights us. It makes us excited. You can't have your pork roll or your beef noodle soup without coriander, right? You need it. The more, the merrier, right? When the people over there are taking coriander out, you're like, put it in mine, right? I'll take it because I just want more coriander, right? The more, the better. And I talk about coriander because I think that's kind of what Christmas is like. And when you talk about Christmas, or when we go out into the shops or we hear those songs, the idea of Christmas, right, particularly that Christ came into this world, divides us. Somehow this small, innocent, little baby born thousands of years ago causes such a different response amongst different people. Right, we saw that in the video. He kind of began by saying, he's just a baby. He's just a baby. And for some people, that's all he is. He's just a baby. He's just a story. He's just a fictional character. But for other people, we know that he's not just a baby. He is much more. For some people in the world, even right now, Christmas disturbs them. It makes them angry when they hear the carols in the shops. They don't like to be wished to Merry Christmas. It should be something else like Happy Holidays or you know, festive season. For others of us in the middle, we're, we're detached. We don't really care if it's Christmas or not, or the story of Jesus. It's a made-up story. It doesn't affect me. But for others of us, hopefully you, Christmas delights you. The more Jesus we have, the better it is. Today, as we look at Matthew chapter 2, what we find is this exact same thing. It's the same thing whether today or 2,000 years ago, when the news of the birth of Jesus Christ began to spread, people were divided. And in this passage, we, three, we see three different kinds of responses. People are detached, people are disturbed, and some people are delighted. And as we look at this passage, I'm going to ask you, which one best describes your heart today? Are you disturbed? Are you detached? Or are you delighted at the news that Jesus was born? Which one best describes your heart and which one would you most like your heart to be as you leave? Now we're going to begin. Next slide. The first group is disturbed, right? Disturbed like Herod. Verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Right? It's called the days of Herod the king because Herod was at the time the king of the land. He was the king of the Jews. Now Herod was a tyrant vicious and jealous man, right? He had one wife and two sons that he got killed, right, for whatever reason. Now, so he was a brutal man, right? He did some great things. He did some good building projects, like he built the temple in Jerusalem. Um, but, you know, he, he was very, uh, I guess, selfish, right? You can see, by the way, that he would kill even his family. And even though Herod was the king of the Jews, uh, he himself was not a Jew. Uh, his parents weren't Jewish, uh, the Jewish people didn't choose him to be their king, and the Jewish people didn't love him, that he was their king. Right? The Jewish people at the time were ruled by the Romans, and the Romans had established Herod as their king. They'd put him in that place over the Jewish people. And so here we are, we have Herod the king. And the next slide. 
Let's read from verse 1 again. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now we'll talk about the wise men a bit later. And they were saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so these wise men have come from the east, and they're talking and they're asking, Where, where's this king of the Jews? We, we've heard that there's a king of the Jews. And this talk has been going around, rumors and gossip, and then it reaches the palace of King Herod. And even King, king Herod begins to hear that people are talking about this king of the Jews. And then next slide, verse 3, it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Right, that was his response. When he heard that there was a king, Jesus, being born, his response is he's troubled. He's disturbed. Right? Why is he disturbed or troubled? And the simple answer is because there already is a king of Jews. Right? He's hearing that there's a king of Jews, but he's like, wait a second. There already is one, and it's meant to be him. Right? He's like, what's going on? That's a problem for him. There's a problem because... There can only be one king. And it's either that one or it's him. But it can't be both. Now this new Jewish king is born of Jews. His parents are Jews. The Jewish scriptures have talked about this future king. Even the wise men from the east have come looking for him to worship him. And so for Herod, this is a big deal. Because he's not a Jew. The Jewish people didn't choose him. But he might get pushed out. This is an inconvenience for Herod. It troubles him because he knows that if there's, if there's another king of Jews, it means he needs to step down from his throne. He needs to no longer be king. He needs to allow this future king to be the king even of his own life. And that means a lot of change. That means discomfort. Maybe he doesn't want to you know, bend his knee to someone else. He's too prideful for that. Maybe his life is too comfortable and he doesn't want to give up the luxuries of his life and have to follow whatever this king will tell him to do. Maybe Herod loved power too much. He loved to be the one to call the shots and tell people what to do. But if there's another king, well, that person's going to tell him what to do, and he doesn't like that. Whatever reason it is for Herod, it disturbs him. And he knows that he has a choice to make. And the choice is that either he steps down from his throne or he puts down this king from ever taking the throne. He's going to have to get rid of that king. And that's what he does. He tells the wise man in verse 8, he says, go and find the king and come back to me so I can worship him. Right? Really, he's not going to worship the king. But the wise men don't come back and tell Herod. And then next slide, this is what he does. But how do you get rid of a baby that you don't know where he lives? You know somewhere he's in Bethlehem? This is what he does. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Again, brutal tyrant. He doesn't know which of these kids in Bethlehem might be this future king, and so he says, wipe them all out. Right? He must be around two years old or under. Let's kill them all. And they're, they're all massacred. 
This is the extent that Herod goes to in order to ensure that he remains the king. He's so disturbed that someone else might be king of the Jews that he has to get rid of him. And so he wipes all these children out. How brutal is that? You know, this season of Christmas, every year we celebrate Jesus, the king being born. It's a reminder that the king came into the world. But when you look through the Bible, what we find is that Jesus is not just the king of Jews. He's the king of the world. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of kings. He's the ruler of creation. He's the Alpha and Omega. Jesus is king over everything and everyone over all of time. And what that means is he came to the world to be king of your heart. He came to be king over you. And so what that means is that the same dilemma that Herod faced is the same one that you are faced with as well. The news that there is a king who came to rule over your life means that you are no different from Herod and that you must decide whether you will step down from your throne, from ruling your life, from making your decisions and let Jesus be king of your life or will you get rid of him. That's the dilemma that we're all faced with in this world when we hear the story of Christmas. There can only be one king. There can only be one who calls the shots over your life. There's only one who gets to determine the decisions that you make, whether big or small. There's only one who gets to be honored as most important in your life. There's only one for whom you will live for. Is it going to be Jesus or is it going to be yourself? If Jesus really is God, if he really came into this world, if he really is the king of kings, then we all have a choice to make. We either step down from our throne or we either put him down. And for many people around the world, that's a decision they make. They hear about the story of Jesus and they say, no, I'm not going to let that be true. I'm going to reject it. I won't believe. I'll fight against it. I'll cast all this doubt on it. I'll argue against the fact that this could be true, historically a fact. And we rebel against the truth that the king has come. How do you feel when I say the king came into this world? How do you feel when I say there is a ruler over your life and over your heart? Maybe like Herod, it disturbs you. It's a disturbing truth that you can't be the God of your life anymore, that you can't make all the decisions that you want, live the way that you want. But that is what the Bible says. And maybe you need to fight against the pride that says, I won't bend my knee to someone else. You need to fight against the love of power that says, I want to be the one that makes all the decisions. You need to fight against the love of comfort. I just want to live the way that I've been living and not let someone else tell me how to live. If you're like that, then that is exactly what Herod did. You know, regardless of whatever Herod did, he wasn't going to stop the fact that Jesus was going to be king. He was and is and forever will be the king of the universe. Herod will one day see that that is true, and every single person in the world will one day see that that is true. You can try to fight it, but one day every person in the world will bend their knee to Jesus Christ. And so trying to reject him is not the right way to respond. Herod's response was not the right way. But there's a second group that we see. Next slide. 
And these were the religious. And there are people around the world, and maybe some of us here today, who are like the religious. We are detached like the religious. Right? We see them. Let's read from verse 1 again. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They were saying, Where is he who was born, the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Next slide. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with them, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So we find in verse 4 this group, the chief priests and the scribes. Now who are they? These are the most religious people of the Jews. These were the teachers. These were the, the Christian leaders. These were the pastors in a way, if you would say today. They're the ones who knew the most. They'd memorized chunks of the Old Testament. They could just recite it off the top of their brain. They had understood the Old Testament prophecies that a Messiah would come and they would stand in front of people and they would teach them and lead them about the things of God. These are the people who knew God's word best. They should have been the ones who loved him the most. Should have. And so as Herod hears about this rumor that there's a new king of Jews, he calls this emergency meeting and he gathers all the leaders of the Jews, the, the religious leaders. It's like everyone, right? All the pastors across Sydney gather, emergency meeting, right? You can imagine they're all kind of waiting in the lobby of Herod's, you know, room or palace. And they're like, what's going on? Oh, hey, hey, John, hey, you're here. What's going on? I don't know. What's going on? Peter, Peter, well, do you know what's happening here? I have no idea. Even Jason's here. Right? Everyone's here right now. And they're like, not sure what the big, you know, the, the thing is, right? What's this event? Why, why, what's so important? And then Herod tells them. He asks them where the Christ is born. Right, if they didn't know before, if they hadn't heard the rumors before, they know now that something's up. They know now that, you know, there must be movement. There is talk. There are wise men from the east who have come to see this king of Jews. The moment must be now. And so they respond to Herod in verse 5. Next slide. And so they told him, this is where you're going to find the king of Jews. In Bethlehem of Judea. Right, that's it. They know the answer. He's found in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. Right, the scriptures talk about it. And then they quote the prophet. Verse 6. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. But they're religious leaders. Of course they know. They've studied the word. They've memorized the scriptures. They've broken apart the prophecies. And so when Herod asked them, where is the king of Jews meant to be born? They're like, oh, we know this. We know this. I, I learned it when I was a child in Bethlehem. You know what? I'll even quote the Old Testament for you. And they quote the Old Testament to him, right? They give the answer. You're going to find it right there. You know, the Jewish people had waited six Hundred years for this moment to arrive. They'd been without a king for 600 years. And so um, parents would tell their children that God had promised that a king would come. The king would come to save them from their captivity. The king would come to make things all better. Just like in the days of David and Solomon, when everything was good, the king's going to come and rescue us. And they'd tell their children, and the children would grow up anticipating this moment, and their parents would die, and they would tell their children, you know, the king's going to come. And it'd keep happening generation after generation, anticipating this moment. And now the time has come. The time is now. 
They tell Herod, you're going to find him over there. And so you know exactly what they're going to do next, right? Straight after Herod finishes up that meeting, all the religious leaders and scribes who are there together, they go straight to Bethlehem. No, that's not what they do. But that's what they should have done. Ten kilometers away, two hours travel. Even at the slightest chance that this could be true, you would expect them to run, go as fast as they could, to be one of the first to find the future king of the Jews and to worship him. But that's not what they do. In fact, what we see them do is absolutely nothing. For the rest of this chapter, we don't hear about them again. It's as if they tell Herod where to find the king of Jews and they go home, have dinner, scroll some TikTok maybe, and go to bed. Isn't that, that's kind of shocking. If Herod is shocking for what he does, the religious, the religious leaders are shocking for what they don't do. For how little they do to the fact that the king of Jews has been born. There's a huge disconnect between what they say and what they know and between what they do. They know the answers. They recite the passages. They can, they can tell Herod. They mark it on the map. Right here is where the king of Jews will be. But they're not moved in their hearts. Their lives aren't changed. They just merely recite the truth. The religious leaders are so detached, so detached from the reality of what is going on. If you have grown up in the church or you've been at church for a little bit, then quite possibly this is how we feel every year when Christmas comes around. Do you know the story of Jesus? Can you recite it to the people around you? And when you gather every Christmas, are you like, oh, it's, it's that same thing. <laughs> right? None of us are surprised by the story, right? When I'm like, Jesus is born, you're like, oh, whoa, I never, I have never heard that one before. We all know the story. And the danger, I think, for us who are religious, who are churched, is that we might respond like the religious leaders. That we just merely know the truth. That we know the songs. That we know the passages. But there's a huge disconnect between what we know and what we feel and how we respond. And when I say that, I don't judge you. I don't blame you. Right? Because I've preached many Christmas sermons. I, I feel that as well. That, that apathy that, that is trying to invade my heart. It's trying to consume my life. Every Christmas, even as a preacher, it's like, what, what do I talk about that, that might, you know, <laughs> might surprise you. You There's nothing surprising about Christmas, but it doesn't have to be. The story itself, the fact that God came into the world should be amazing itself. But sometimes our hearts are so hardened and we'll talk about Christmas, we sing the songs and we mouth empty words and we're content to just go home and not be moved, to have dinner, to scroll TikTok and go to sleep as if it's just another day. In one way, it is another day because we should celebrate Jesus every day. But if ever we were excited that Jesus came into the world, it should be today. If not, every day afterwards. We must pray that God will soften our hearts to this amazing truth. 
And we must be alert that whenever we feel that our hearts have become apathetic, that we will run back to God and say, God, I know that this is not the way it should be. I don't want to respond like the religious leaders did. Who just merely know that the Christ, the King, was born, but don't care. You know, Herod did not find Jesus that day and worship him, but neither did the religious leaders. They did not bow down and worship the king. Will you bow down and worship the king today? Does the fact that God came into this world excite you? If not, we need to pray and we need to ask God to help us. So we have the first group that's disturbed like Herod. We have the second group detached like the religious leaders. And this is the third group. They were delighted. The wise men. And maybe that's some of us here. Hopefully, we are delighted like the wise men. Right? We're going to rewind back to where we first find the wise men. Back to verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and they were saying, Where is he who has been born, king of Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, the wise men, sometimes translated as uh, magi, like in the NIV, um, which is where we get the word magician. Uh, They weren't necessarily wise men, like they were smart, but they were wise in the interpretation of the stars, right? This is kind of why they say magi. It's like the astronomers or astrologers, right, which is where the star comes in. And these wise men are probably uh, wealthy and well-respected from the gifts that we know they give. And it says they're from the east. So they're not Jewish. They're not from the land. They're from far away, right, somewhere in a foreign land. And in many ways, when you consider the wise men, you have a group of people who are the least likely to have found Jesus. They didn't live in the place where Jesus is born. They're not Jewish people. Jesus is meant to be the king of Jews, and so this is not their king as far as they know. They probably didn't have the scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. They probably didn't know the Old Testament prophecies that talked about the coming king. These people are from all the way, like in the middle of nowhere, just over there. And somehow they followed a a star. I don't even know how that works. They're like, ooh, look, star. That must mean a king is born. I don't know how they came to that conclusion. And they come and from a very far place, this is two hours away, to seek this king, right? These are the last people that you would expect to find the king. And yet, apart from the shepherds at the birth of Christ, the wise men are the only other visitors we know that Jesus had, right? These people who are the least likely people. Next slide in verse nine. And it says, after listening to the king, after talking to Herod, they went on their way and behold the star that they had seen when it rose It went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love that phrase. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Matthew could have just said they rejoiced. You know, rejoicing is such an intense response, right? When you rejoice, when's the last time you rejoiced? Like, when, when have you ever used that word? It's like, I rejoiced. It's like, it's such a like, yeah, like I was so happy. 
But Matthew isn't satisfied to simply say they rejoiced because their response wasn't just they rejoiced. He says they rejoiced exceedingly. But they didn't just rejoice exceedingly. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's so unnecessary how Matthew writes this. But he's trying to convey the kind of response the wise men had. It was an uncontainable joy. It was an overflowing joy. It wasn't like, it, it wasn't tempered. I, I don't know, I just imagine them going, I, I don't know, I'd say it now, but I might wake up the people next door. Just screaming at the top of their lungs. Because they had found the king. And the star had led them to this special child. And they could not contain the emotions that they had felt. What a stark contrast to Herod who was disturbed with anger at the news that the king had come. What a stark contrast with the religious who were detached with apathy at the news that the king had come. The wise men were delighted with amazement that they found the king. This is the right response to the news that Jesus came into the world. But the joy that they feel, again, it's, it's knowledge. The religious leaders had knowledge, but it just stayed there. The, the wise men knew something, and then it, it, it changed their heart. But once their hearts were changed, it wasn't just a feeling. It wasn't just emotion. It shows up in their lives. And so verse 11, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. By this point, Jesus is not in the manger. Most likely, he's about one or two years old. And so it's a little child. And, but when they see the child Jesus, nobody tells them to do this. They fall down before this child and they worship him like you would worship a God. The joy, the rejoicing exceedingly with great joy in their hearts just naturally led them to fall down and Give Jesus the glory. They worship the little boy, Jesus. Worship is the natural and only appropriate response when our hearts are filled with joy, when we have truly understood who Jesus is. And the worship doesn't just come out in songs like we sing, but it comes out in the offering of our lives. And so they, what they give to Jesus is the gifts of greatest value, because he himself is of greatest value. And so verse 11, then opening their treasures, they offered to Jesus gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now these gifts are gifts fit for a king. By the way, uh, the Bible never says there were three wise men. Uh, we say that because there were three gifts. There could have been two wise men, four, five, but there were three gifts, right? That's why we say three wise men. But they offer to Jesus gifts fit for a king. They worship him and then they leave. Now, there are so many questions when I hear the story of the wise men. Uh, I don't know what they knew. What made them follow a star? How did they know that the star meant there was a king? And when they found the house, what made them be filled with so much joy? And when they saw Jesus, what is it that they saw that made them fall on their faces and worship him? I don't know, but this is what I know. What I know is they knew far less than what we know about Jesus. Because we know the full story. 
We know the complete story of who Jesus is and what he came to do. We know about his incredible birth. We know about his perfect life. We know about his substitutionary death. We know about his glorious resurrection and that one day he will return from heaven. We know all these things about Jesus. We know Jesus was God who had become man. We know that the Son of God had stepped down from heaven to come to earth and be the Son of Man. We know that Jesus has no beginning because he's eternal, and yet Jesus would be born. We know that Jesus was born, that he would die. And that we know that Jesus would die so that you and I may live. We know that he, was, he who was eternal would taste death on the cross, right? What a paradox. We know that he, the king of the world, though he was king, he would come to serve the world and die for it. We know that Jesus was without sin. He was the perfect one. And yet when he went on the cross, he carried our sin and died in our place so that you and I might be forgiven of our sin and that we might be reconciled back to God. We know who Jesus is. We know that he is the king of the Jews. We know that he's more than the king of the Jews. We know that he is the king of kings. We know that he is the Lord of lords. We know that he is the savior. We know that he is our joy. We know that he's the reason we hope. We know that he's the reason we live. We know that he's the reason we will never die. We know that Jesus is God. And the response to all we know, which is far more than what the wise men knew, is meant to be rejoice exceedingly with great joy and to fall down and worship Jesus and to offer to him our lives. Again, for those of us who are churched, when every year it rolls around, it's easy to just be like, it's, it's, it's the same story, but we need to fight that we might respond like the wise men did. But I know that some of us, you may not be churched. You may not count yourself a Christian. Maybe this is your first time at church or maybe the first time in a long time. And I wanna ask you where your heart is this Christmas season. I want to ask how you feel when you hear that the King of Kings came into the world, where God the Son came into the world to save you. Do you respond like Herod, and you're disturbed, and you don't like the idea that there would be someone who rules over you? Let me tell you that no matter how you feel, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus is King, that He is Lord, and one day you will see it, hopefully not too late. But maybe you feel like the wise men. Maybe you've stumbled your way into church this Christmas beyond your realm of comfort. Let me comfort you by saying that's how the wise men felt. They were out of their comfort zone when they found Jesus. Maybe you feel like the wise men and you're not normally religious. Let me encourage you, the wise men weren't religious. Pagan astronomers were the ones who found Jesus. And if you feel far away from God, be assured the wise men were the least likely of all people to have found Jesus, and yet they did. It was they that God chose to find Jesus, to show us that no matter who you are, no matter how far you feel from God, no one is too far away for God to welcome you. God chose those who were furthest away in geography, nationality, and all possibility to make a point that he would welcome you this Christmas to find the king.
So where are you today? Are you disturbed? Are you detached? Or is your heart delighted? Next slide, please. You know, when it comes to coriander, it doesn't really matter how you feel. It's not going to change anything. You just take it out, you put it in, like, you know. It doesn't really matter. It won't, it won't change your life. When it comes to Jesus, our response really matters. Because it does change our life, and it changes our eternal life. Rejecting Jesus isn't like rejecting coriander. It's more like rejecting medicine. All right, let me just end with this analogy. Um, my son Reuben, now, when he gets sick, like we give him Panadol and, and, and Codril, it's okay, he eats it now like a normal child. When he was younger, he would hate medicine. I don't know if any parents understand this. Um, he like absolutely hated medicine. We'd have to you know, try to be nice to him. And when that didn't work, you know, we'd try to like hide it in other foods. And you know, when that didn't work, you know, we'd try to bribe him. If you eat this, we'll give you ice cream. And sometimes that would work. When that didn't work, you know, we'd threaten him. You know, one time he was so sick he needed to take antibiotics. And he would refuse to take it. But he needed to take it, right, in order to get better. And we went through all those steps, right, try to be nice and try to hide it and then try to bribe him and try to threaten him. And then it got to a point, and I, I don't feel good about this. I can, I'm, like, kind of traumatized. I can see it exactly where we, what, what, what happened. We pinned him down on the ground, like, uni, my wife and I, uni, and, like, we gripped his mouth open and we, like, just tried, because we, we didn't, didn't understand. We had nothing else to do. We, we love you, Ruben. This is for you. And we tried to shove it into his mouth and he's screaming, he's crying, it's gurgling, and he's spitting it out. It all came out. He's coughing and then he vomited everywhere. But as a parent, it's so hard when your children don't want what they need. You need this, but they don't want it. But there's a quote that says, God doesn't need us, but wants us. Right? God doesn't need us, but wants us. But the sad part is we need God, but we don't want Him. And I think Christmas is the season where we see that most clearly. God didn't need you, but He wanted you. So He sent His Son into the world to live the life you did not live and to die your death that you no longer need to die. If you would believe in him, you will be saved. God doesn't need you but wants you, so he sent Jesus, that's Christmas. But all around the world, when people hear about the king, though we need him, we don't want him. And we reject him, and we're not delighted by him. I feel like Christmas is that phrase. And I wanna encourage you this Christmas, no matter who you are, that you wouldn't be disturbed like Herod, that you won't be detached like the religious, that you will come before God and ask God to help you, that you'll be delighted like the wise man, and that you would give God the worship that he deserves. Yeah, let's close our eyes and let's pray. I just want us for the next minute to just come before God and Wherever you are, it's not about the people next to you. It's just you and God this Christmas. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you followed, probably not a star, but maybe you followed a friend. Maybe you followed a feeling. Maybe this is just what you always do. But I want us just to not let this moment slip away. 
as Peter said, we celebrate the birth of Christ every day. But if there's ever a day we don't let that incredible, miraculous truth just pass us by, it is today. And so would you just do business with God and ask God to work in your heart to help you to believe that God entered the world, to help you to submit to the fact that Jesus is King, to help your hearts come alive and rejoice exceedingly with great joy that Jesus came into the world. It's because Jesus was born and it's because Jesus lived and it's because Jesus died that you might have eternal life. It all started here. Thank you, God, that though you did not need me, you want a relationship with me, that you would send your son for me. Thank you, God, that I know this truth and that I can meet this King and that I can find Him for myself. And I know the full, incredible story of the extent of your love that would lead Jesus to the cross. I thank you, Jesus. Can we just spend a bit of time wrestling with God and ask Him to bring joy to our hearts? Let's pray.